You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Well, here we are at the third and final installment of my Young Artist series. And it could be argued that I've saved the most prolific artist for last. Joshua Turchin is a singer, actor, dancer, as well as a musician, accompanist, music director, composer, and writer. And he's only 14 years old. As the New York Post puts it, Joshua Turchin is a musical theater wonderkind. However, it's certainly not always easy. Whether it's jealousy or some overinflated sense of competition, not everyone is looking for Joshua to succeed. I've definitely had some experiences with people underestimating me and some of my friends too, but that's actually one of the um, pieces of advice now. Like you are more than what other people say you are. Hello and welcome to another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short, one of Feedspot's top 25 theater podcasts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and in this Young Artist series, I'm talking with fellow creatives, focusing on the struggles and experiences specific to child performers. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com. There you can sign up for the monthly Win Me newsletter, You can also show your support for this podcast and get access to members-only episodes. All that and more at whyillnevermakeit.com. As both a performer and writer, Joshua Turchin has crammed a lot of experience into his very young career. Whether it's on stage at the Hollywood Bowl or on a national tour, or composing his own award-winning musical, or music directing his weekly cabaret series, Joshua certainly stays busy. Oh yeah, and he also has school and homework to deal with as well. And so in this conversation you're about to hear, we'll talk about the many facets of his creativity and how he learned to play 11 instruments and compose his first musical at the age of 11 called The Perfect Fit. Now, the New York Times reviewed this musical saying that Joshua Turchin proves his worth as a composer, actor, and a book writer, delivering a richly layered show about the lives and loves of showbiz pre-adolescents. We can certainly all learn a thing or two from this teenage musical tour de force. He is someone who is constantly working as hard as the challenges he faces. And as you'll see, Joshua is a bundle of never-ending positive energy whose smile and spirit are definitely contagious. All right, Joshua, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to meet you and so good to have you here. Thank you so much for letting me be here. I'm really excited to be interviewed by you. Well, you are certainly a, a busy man with all the, the different projects that you have, the uh, the, the skills and talents that, that you possess. And and among all of your interests, is, is there one that speaks to you most? I mean, I mean, which one do you enjoy doing most? Ooh, that's a really hard question. Um, personally, I love everything that I do because it sort of just like complements each other, like with music, acting, singing and dancing and um, composing. They all like complement each other in some sort of way. 
Do you see yourself as wanting to narrow your focus maybe on one of them? I'm going to try to do um, all of them as long as I possibly can. Yeah. Now, one of your most recent projects was a musical called The Perfect Fit. And so what exactly sets this musical apart? What prompted you to want to write it? So the musical is about a bunch of theater kids, and it sort of takes you into the world of the quote-unquote like underground city of like all of the different Broadway things, like with all the theater kids and theater moms and theater dads. And like, it's, it's a really cool concept in my opinion. Uh, but a lot of it's taken from my personal experiences. It is um, like a completely fictional story, but it's definitely inspired by my experiences. And what did you specifically draw from of your experiences that you thought would be good for the stage? The audition process. Yeah. Yep, that's a big one. <laughs> yep. And I have like so many audition stories of like weird things happening. Yeah. I mean, the, the audition is, is really the job of an actor. And then every now and then we get to act. So it's uh, it's <laughs> it's it's definitely yep. the, the bulk of what we do as actors. And in writing it, what was your biggest difficulty or hurdle in putting the show together? Like one of the biggest things with the story was at least making sure like it was cohesive and made sure that um, with music to song to the script, I need to make sure that it all flows properly. So it seems like one entire story, because um, I remember like a piece of advice I learned was that when the emotion in a script gets like too much, like too hard to express the words, that's when they break into song. Hmm. And uh, like the tension is like mounting enough for them to just like start belting out everything. So in writing it, did you write the script first and then add songs later? Or did you have scenes that kind of led you into certain songs or how did you then put it all together? For the show, it basically relied on having to do both of them at the same time. So, like, as you said, like, I went from, like, the scenes that I'm like, ooh, there could be a song here, hops onto the piano, and then just starts writing. That's usually what um, happens with the show. And and do songs come to you easily, or do you kind of have to work on them? Like, it honestly really depends. Sometimes, like, they just, like, I'm doing school, and I just have, like, a melody come with, like, come to me. I'm like, oh. And, I, and then other times, I'm like, I want to write something. Why am I not writing something right now? <laughs> like, it, it like happens randomly. Yeah, that writer's block is certainly something that's common among a lot of writers, where you're just staring at a blank page or a blank screen for hours on end sometimes. How do you get through that, that kind of writer's block yourself? I do more school than I'm supposed to. <laughs> like, it's like sort of like a, like a procrastination technique, I guess. Um, where I'm like, okay, I can't figure out something. It's time to do some history. Oh, wait, I have a new idea. Like Basically, like that getting my mind off of writing then helps me write, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 that makes total sense. Yeah, it's gonna like get your mind off of it for a time and let that, you know, the back part of your brain kind of work on it while you're not thinking about it. And then magic, it comes to you. No, no, I, I, I get that. Mm -hmm. Now, you being so young, you started on this musical when you were about 10 years old, right? And so from uh, 10 to 12 or so is when you were writing it? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like the main idea was conceived when I was around 10. I really started like fully writing it when I was 11 to 12. And then in, I believe, 2019, we had our first off-off Broadway run of the show, which was really, really cool. It actually won um, some awards at the theater festival. It was put on um, at. It was really, really just insane. Um, and then some more things uh, recently from last year have happened that were like, what? <laughs> now, I'm curious, if, even though, I mean, you were young when it started, you're still young now that it's it's starting to grow gradually. How have you changed since you've been writing it? And, and have you had to adjust it as, as you've grown, as you've been auditioning more, performing? No, yeah, definitely. I mean, from all of the new experiences that I've had, um, I use those as like further inspiration for the story and then make a bunch of different like changes and tweaks to the story and that helps um like you know make it more realistic what's one of the most recent personal experiences that you've had that, that have now found their way into the the musical you know i would say just like being a teenager but also like so i actually have like a funny audition story that did technically inspire the show a little bit and what happened was i had to audition for this like one tv show nine times and each time was a different character oh wow okay that's fun yeah it, it was a lot of fun definitely i was like ah there's a lot of stuff to memorize but okay yeah yeah it sounds like they didn't really know where to fit you as well, which, which happens sometimes. We have casting directors or people behind the table who don't really know what to do with us sometimes. <laughs> right. And like, yeah, it all leads back to like, you know, maybe it wasn't like the right fit for me. And like, hopefully soon I'll find my perfect fit. <laughs> nice. Nice. I like how you did that. So when it comes to the perfect fit, I mean, how many 13-year-olds are having their show produced off-Broadway in New York? So, so that must have been a big thrill for you. It was. It was so cool. And then also um, in the summer of 2020, last year during the pandemic, um, we recorded a cast album entirely in quarantine. Like every, all of the musicians um, and actors and audio engineers, we were all separate. Um, and the album was released by Broadway Records. And it was an insane experience because we also had a Tony Award winner, Laura Benanti, on it. So I was like, what? This is so cool. Now, now, how did you get, you know, people like Laura Benanti and, and everyone, how did you get this cast together? Were you a part of that? Or do, do you have managers and other people who handle that? What, how did that process work? So a lot of the cast who was, in the recording I had previously worked with, like, for example, uh, Carly Gendel. Uh, she was in the broad, the original Broadway cast of School of Rock, and I knew her from just dance classes in New York City. And, um, you know, we just we did a bunch of cabarets together, and she's one of my best friends. So I asked her. I asked some of my other Broadway friends, too. And uh, Laura Benanti, the funny thing with that was that it, it all started with her thing called Sunshine Song. So she made like this thing to help kids during the uh, pandemic. 
Yeah, I remember that, that she was on, on Twitter a lot saying, hey, if you've written something, if, if you weren't able to perform, send it my way because I because I want to promote that. Yeah, I, I, mm. I remember she was really big about that, especially in the first few months of the pandemic when a lot of things were shutting down and not really coming back. Mm, yeah, so I, I did do like one of the sun, Sunshine Songs thing, and then she went on my show, The Early Night Show, um, and I got to interview her and um have her sing a song on the show which was so cool and from there i was like hey i'm releasing um a cast album with uh broadway records do you want to be on it and that's sort of how it happened (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's the wonderful thing about doing shows like this you know you have your early show and this podcast of mine is that you get to meet people that Hopefully, maybe down the road, you get to work with and do other things with. So it, it it really is, especially during the pandemic, this has been one of the great ways to stay connected with people. I, I assume you've found a, lo- a lot of ways to still connect, even though the pandemic has kind of stopped theater. No, yeah. Like um, the early night show, that's one of, like, as soon as the pandemic hit, that's one of the ways I try to keep myself busy. And so... Funny thing with the early night show. Basically, it started as a live thing. Like, I would do different cabarets um, here in New York City of the early night show with a bunch of different Broadway guests. And then we were going to do another one, then COVID happened. So that's when I decided to make the early night show virtual edition to, you know, give opportunities for people here in New York City and all around the world. I've played over 250 songs so far for the early night show virtual edition um i'm surprised my hands haven't like broken into a million pieces yet (laughs) from like and yeah we've had over 200 guests and we're going back to our first live show in a while at the green room 42 here in new york city uh, we're gonna have a bunch of different fun Broadway guests, and I can't wait to finally perform live again in New York City. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be a great time for all of us when we get to take that stage for the first time. It's gonna be a good thing. The early night show returned to the stage back in April of this year with excited performers anxious to be in front of a live audience again who were so grateful to be there watching these singers again. But you can still find The Early Night Show on YouTube, and Joshua just started the seventh season last month. You will find a link to his channel in the show notes. And while you're there, you can also check out some of the music from The Perfect Fit, performed by Joshua himself. In fact, here's one of those songs called Person Who's Not Even There. Nothing happens And sure I act like it's okay But you're never there to tell me that It's like I'm looking at a person Who's not even there Do you constantly have ideas for shows or songs And have like this Joshua book that you go to And write down your ideas and keep them? Well I mean yes but more like my notes document of like, yes. I write down like new song idea, theme, and just like go from there. And like sometimes I just like come up with lyrics. And I'm like, no, I'm gonna use this in a song one day. 
or like I write down a phrase and I like instantly go to my piano. I'm like, I need to incorporate this because I also hear like a melody go along with that phrase. So I'm like, hmm. okay, I hear a melody. What, what chord fits that? What so- that stuff? I gotcha. That makes sense. And for the perfect fit, is that the first complete musical that you've done? Uh, yes. But like we were just talking about, you have bits and pieces of what could be future musicals inside of you. Yes, yes. So stay tuned. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Now, when it comes to getting older, one of the things that I read is that this musical, that one of the themes of The Perfect Fit has to do with children finding themselves in that in-between time where they're not young, young anymore. They're not old enough to be, you know, the, the adult characters, character actors. So they're kind of in this in-between phase. Do you feel that yourself, that you're kind of in that middle phase right now well technically i've been in that like we call it like the dead zone technically i've like been in that for a little while now like starting at around age 10 like stage parents would say oh you're getting tall you're not gonna work soon and like it sounds so out of the ordinary but like here in new york those are things that people actually say which is like what caused me to start writing my own things and you know making all of these cabarets and shows and that stuff so Do you think it's more people saying this or have you actually experienced that work has slowed down for you? You know, um, it has, it did slow down for a little bit. And when it started to slow down, like I'm going to start working like in the beginning of the pandemic. That's why I created the early night show. When it comes to writing for adult characters, writing for other child characters, you know, since you are young yourself, is that easier than writing for adult characters? No, yeah, definitely. Because personally, I know the child characters more than the adult characters. Because as a child, I know myself and how people my age act. What's your process then for writing those adult characters that may be a little outside of your experience? I take some of my older friends and uh, parents and I use them as examples. And then also people who I've worked with and um, people who I see in my day-to-day life. And I'm curious, at the age of 14, you seem very focused and sure of what you want to do in the arts. Was was there ever an idea of doing anything else? My parents, when I was little, signed me up for soccer. (laughs) Needless to say, I don't do soccer anymore. Yes, I I can tell from your face that that was not exactly what you wanted to do. No, I I am very bad at soccer. I'm like, which way do I kick? And I had like no idea what I was doing. Um, so I, I really always had a passion for musical theater and composing and singing and doing all that stuff. Now, when it comes to learning all these instruments that you know, you you, you know 11 instruments so far. I'm, I'm sure that list may, may continue to grow. How does that lesson process go? How do you pick up these different instruments? You know, it's really hard to explain. <laughs> it just sort of happens. Like there are a bunch of instruments I've always wanted to play. Some of them I take lessons for, some of them I'm self-taught. But yeah, I honestly don't know how I pick out my instruments. They just sort of like, like not like impulse buying. They're all instruments I've wanted for literal years. And is there one that you enjoy playing the most or or was the easiest for you to pick up? Well, I mean, one of the easiest for me to pick up had to be piano because I've always, I've been playing piano ever since I could like first reach uh, piano keys when I was little. Um, But my other favorite is accordion. 
which sort of has that it's a piano recording, oh, yeah. so it sort of has the aspect. Um, it's a it's just such a fun instrument. More people need to be playing accordion. It's just so much fun. <laughs> yeah, well, because your one hand is on piano like keys, and then your other hand is picking the the, the different keys and chords, correct? Yeah, and like it sort of requires a lot of like hand coordination in order to figure out like what chords you need to play because there are like literal thousands of thousands of chord combinations so you have like like sometimes like just trying to pick a c chord i'm like okay i have to reach for the button where is the button now now being so young i'm i'm wondering or curious if the word prodigy has ever been used you know since since you're able to play 11 instruments and all these things has that word ever come up it has, it has. Um, personally, I mean, I don't see myself as a prodigy. I'm just um, like a normal composer, singer, dancer, actor, and all that stuff who also happens to be 14. And being so young, are there ever expectations of what people think you can and can't do? No, yeah, definitely. Um, I've definitely had some experiences with people underestimating me and some of my friends too. But that's actually one of the um, pieces of advice now. Like, you are more than what other people say you are. Definitely. And in, in what ways have you been able to to prove yourself to those who may not have expected much from you? Well, I kept composing and writing and doing all that stuff because it's what I love to do. And I'm not really trying to prove or disprove anything i'm just doing what i love to do yeah 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 you've you've found what what brings you joy and you have 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 run with that and fortunately you've been able to to have some success with it and what do you find is the biggest difference between younger actors like yourself and older actors who have been in the business a long time well obviously like the younger actors like they don't have as much experience in the business as like the older, like experienced actors. Um, but with a little experience, we can be just as professional as they can be. Like as a composer, they treat me as they would like any other composer and any other actor. And that's something I, I really like. I just to be respected on the same level that they're respected. And I assume that because you, you have music directed, that you still work in a very collaborative environment, that it's it's not just your word or <laughs> no one else's. It's a it's definitely a give and take. Mm, yeah. And last year with the perfect fit, um, we had some socially distant concerts, and one of them was off Broadway at New World Stages, which was really cool. And something happened, and I ended up playing the show as the piano part too, on top of like the singing, which was so cool. At least one of my favorite things, like with the band, like the band was so incredible. And I was treated the same way that they treated each other. And we all had, like, we were all able to have a say and in what happened with the scoring and the orchestrations. And I found that so incredible. And I wish that, I hope that every other Broadway show and stuff is like that because we're all like the band and orchestra. We're all just like one big family. Well, I think that's great that you've been able to to find acceptance in that way. As someone who's who's a, a part of this up and coming next generation of artists to, to lead and create musical theater, are there any traditions or ideas that you want to continue to build upon? And secondly, 
Are there any ways in which you think theater needs to change or adjust? I definitely feel like Broadway needs to adjust a little more, like, you know, more inclusive shows and more inclusive works. And personally, I, I'm inspired um, and take influence from a lot of the older composers like Roger Namerstein, Sondheim, and Alan Menken. The cool thing is, so I did um, the Little Mermaid's live-to-film production at the Hollywood Bowl as Flounder. And the cool thing is, was that I got to perform with Alan Menken, who, like, as I said, I look up to him in every, like, thing. And he was one of the first people to learn that my show was going to go um, into, like, an off-Broadway off theater festival. Someone in the cast... Um, Harvey Firestein told Alan Menken that my show was going to there. <laughs> and it was just, I was like, well, how, how did this happen? It was just such a surreal experience. Oh, 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 I, I imagine it was. Yeah, I've, I've gotten to work with the, a few people that I really look up to. And, and just kind of being in the room with them can really be a, a magical experience. Yeah, it, it really can. Um, still haven't met Sondheim, though. So I'm like, next. There you go. Uh, that, yeah, keep that on the bucket list. That's for sure. Now, have there ever been times where you, you know, because I, I, I imagine in the the different playing that you've done that, that there have been performances that didn't go quite as well as you hoped. No, yeah. Um, so I have like funny experiences with shows like, quote unquote, theatrical outtakes. Okay. Uh, when I did the Christmas Story tour as Randy, there were like, because like each set had to be like quickly changed, there were cracks in the floor and we had a giant tap number. I feel like you can see where this is going. <laughs> um, so I was flapping off stage. This happened multiple times. I, I was, I, I'd be like flapping off stage. My foot would get caught in the cracks and I would go flying off stage. I hope eventually they, they've figured it out and, and covered these cracks. No, nope. Nope. And the fun thing is after I flapped off stage, I had like a 15 second quick change where I had to take off everything and put on like giant sweat, like a giant suit and a bunch of stuff. And it was definitely when that happened, a tiny bit stressful. Like, cause I'm like, am I going to miss my cue? Uh, thankfully I didn't, but still. Yeah, how was that that national tour for you? Because I've done The Addams Family, which certainly had a few kids in there. But for you, Christmas Story certainly has a definite kid cast. And so I assume mm-hmm. that most of you hung out with each other. Or how, how was tour life for you? Uh, so yeah, most of the kids, we all um, hung out with each other. The cool thing is, so I grew up in South Florida, where there's no snow. Um, <laughs> I, I had not seen snow until I was eight, or no, until I was nine on the tour of A Christmas Story. So when when I got to see like snow for the first time when we were on the bus, I'm like, oh, what is that? It was like snow. Now I have like just a love for snow. Like when there's a blizzard in New York, I'm like, yes. Uh, it's just magical. Like that was one of my first experiences with the tour. And then also my first year I played Randy. My second year I played Boy Swing. Now I... I understudied every single role in the show, which was definitely a bit stressful. This is like actually a crazy, crazy story with the Christmas story. So our first preview, I was so sick. Like I had no voice. 
And basically what happened was I had every, I had my computer set up in the dressing room. I was going to go back cause I didn't have as big as a part as like the other roles. So I, I only need to be on like one time in act one. So I went backstage, you know, getting ready and suddenly the entire dressing team. And then the, um, assistant director they just come running towards me they're like josh you're going on a schwartz and i'm like what what? like as a swing you never get a rehearsal ever unless it's like an emergency situation so i had to do the entire show as schwartz which is a a role i had never rehearsed so leading up to that like first thing with schwartz i had to like keep going over my lines over and over again and i i remember i was like this close to calling out of the show because I was that sick, but I still had to do it because otherwise um, if someone like had an emergency thing, they would have to like not go on with the show. Yeah, And yeah. like for a role like centric to the story as Schwartz, who's like causes one of the main conflicts, which is Flick getting his tongue stuck to the pole. Mm-hmm. I don't know what would have happened. But it was definitely a crazy, stressful situation, but also a lot of fun. How did that go with Schwartz? Did, did you did you miss anything? Did, were, were you kind of making it up as you went along, or, or did it go smoothly? Somehow, somehow I didn't forget anything, which was crazy. Is like, like, during rehearsal, I would just, like, keep watching. And it was kind of crazy, like, looking back at it now for, like, the amount of stuff I had to do. And on our first preview too, which was like, and I think it was like, I think it may have been like a Broadway sized audience. So thankfully I didn't know as a child that the audience was that big. Cause if I <laughs> did, I like, cause I was 10 at the time. So like having no voice, having to go on for a role I had never rehearsed, but definitely would have scared me. Yeah. I made sure to steam a lot. Smart, smart. That's right. That's right. Eat manuka honey. Hydrated, steamed. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But then I had to go on for Schwartz um, six more times during the run. So by that sixth time, you're like, I got this. I know this. No worries. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you get a chance to go on for all of the roles that you understudied? I did not. Um, Like, I wasn't able to go on for Ralphie or Flick, even though I did go on for Flick during, like, rehearsals. but. I did go on for a role I never covered. Hmm. Interesting. Um, like the girl parts, um, I I wasn't supposed to cover them. Like apparently there was going to be a girl swing, but there wasn't. So the full last week of the show, one of the girls, um, she played, I forgot her name. She played Nancy. Like there's a part in the show where it's like, little Na- Nancy wants a new toy train. Little Nancy's driving me insane. So basically what happened was she called out. So I had to go in for the entire last week as a role I'd never covered. So that was also stressful, but also like yet like a lot of fun. And then there were like times where I had to go on for the role, like Thor, which is the role usually covered. Cause there were two Ralphies. The role of Thor is usually done by, the Ralphie that's not on as Ralphie. Oh, I see. (laughs) 
Joshua has certainly taken advantage of all of the opportunities that are afforded an artist here in New York. I mean, it's almost like he was made for this city. But as he mentioned, his family is originally from South Florida. So what prompted them to finally make a move up to the Big Apple? Well, it was very like a spontaneous thing. So we never planned for it to happen. We came up to New York for three weeks in the summer of 2015. I got cast in a Christmas story and I got an agent. So that's one of the reasons why uh, we stayed. And I came back from tour. We were debating on whether we would go back to Florida or stay here. And we decided to stay here. Now, did your parents have to change jobs, I assume, and, and find new work there? Well, so my mom's a biomedical engineer um, and my dad's a lawyer. So my dad's been able to work from home. That makes things like relatively easy. Yeah. Yeah. Those are professions you can kind of do anywhere. Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like from all the experiences that you've been able to, to do that your parents have been very supportive of your artistic endeavors. No, yeah, they've been, um, they, along with my sister, have been my biggest supporters throughout my career. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah, they're uh, <laughs> the ones in the front row cheering you on at all the performances. Yeah, and when they thought, like, I got, like, comfortable on stage with, like, them not being there. So then they, like, eventually, like, stopped going to all of the performances in Christmas Story. And I'm like, where did they go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like they don't need to see every performance, but but yeah, from time to time, yeah. it's 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 good to just let you have your thing, and then they can go yeah. do their thing. No, I get that. I yeah. get that. So, is there any artistic uh, gene in your family, or are you kind of an anomaly? You know, I'm kind of an anomaly. Um, I mean, my dad used to play piano when I was little, but that was pretty much it. <laughs> And th- th- then I came along, they're like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were, were they ready for an artist and, and what that meant? Or were they kind of learning the craft and skill of what it meant to be an artist along with no, you? Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were learning um, along with me and we, we all experienced these things and we, we all learned from these experiences and they helped uh, continue to support me as a performer and composer. What's been their biggest adjustment to having a a kid who's so involved and integrated into theater? Well, I think their biggest adjustment was moving to New York. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's pretty big. Probably, yeah. I mean, um, we still have a house in Florida, but usually my dad just goes there back and forth because my dad owns a business in Florida. So it's very back and forth for him, but... My mom, my sister sometimes goes back with him, but my mom and I usually just stay here. And when it comes to your singing voice, I was around your age when my voice started to change. I went from a boy soprano down to a bass over a matter of like six months when I was 14. How has the voice change been for you? You know, as of now, I mean, sometimes there are like voice cracks, but as of now, it's actually like pretty smooth. Like I was listening to like past videos of myself from like, a year ago. And I'm like, wow, my voice was that squeaky. (laughs) But, uh, so personally, I like my voice better now than I did like a year ago. I feel like more like control with my voice, if that makes sense. Although it's like just started to change. 
No, yeah, it's it's going to have those random notes that come out and you're like, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that sometimes happens like when I'm recording songs and I'm like, what was that? Did performing, you know, especially like the training, the, the voice lessons, piano lessons and all the other instruments and, and everything, did it ever seem like work to you? No. Uh, well, one of, my, uh, one of the things my dad always says, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I really, that really hits home for me because I never feel like I'm working when I'm like, like playing piano or singing or dancing or acting or taking lessons. It's all fun. Now, as you grow up, how do you see yourself progressing in this business as you get older? Because you've already done so much as of now. So where do you see it going? Well, I don't know where it's going, but all I can say is I'm going to keep acting, singing, dancing, and composing and writing. Because i that's what I love to do. And I just want to keep doing that. Because I'm actually currently um, working on the music for an upcoming feature film, uh, mm. which is really cool. I just want to, just not not just for myself, but for other people, because I write because I want to entertain people. What is it about entertaining others that that keeps you coming back to it? What why do you think it is that it just strikes so much passion within you? You know, I don't really know. I've always had a love for entertaining people and I, I just want to make people happy on my main goals. And I assume that you have found success in that. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joshua, this has been great talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so, so much for having me. Now, as you know, the purpose of this podcast and its episodes is to focus on the guest and their own struggles, why they weren't making it or haven't made it yet in this business. But I have to admit, it's artists like Joshua that make me realize I may be missing something. With every answer, Joshua was actually showing me why I haven't made it or accomplished as much as I probably should have by this point in my career. Now, I did find our conversation to be a wonderful motivation to keep pushing and reaching for more, but it was also a stark reminder of some missed opportunities in my own life. I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think, what your main takeaways from my conversation with Joshua. You can find me and the podcast on Instagram and Twitter, or you can reach out to me through the website. To follow Joshua and his many projects, go to joshuaturchin.com. There you'll see examples of much of the work that we've discussed in this episode. Also, on Friday, you can hear or watch our final five interview on YouTube, or get it in your podcast app by supporting Why I'll Never Make It. Learn more by subscribing to the newsletter or visiting whyillnevermakeit.com. Thank you so much for listening and joining Joshua and myself in this conversation. If you know someone who you think could benefit from an episode like this, then please share this podcast with them. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Publicity provided by Imagine PR Group. Incidental music in this episode provided by Chad Crouch. 
Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.